Good morning, everybody. Once again, great to be back at church to worship with you, and uh, this is our final week of the series we're calling Hot Mess, and uh, that doesn't mean that we're not going to have any more hot messes, right, in, in our life, but uh, I hope that as you've been here over the last few weeks that you've learned a few things that can help you overcome the hot messes that do pop up from time to time. I hope that you have joined us over those last few weeks, but uh, we, we've been talking about different things that often feel like they're out of control and a hot mess, like our families or our schedules or even our jobs sometimes can feel like a hot mess. And if you haven't been here over the last few weeks, well, you know, actually, maybe today's the most important one for you to have come to. Because I think what God wants you to take away from today is something very important. God wants you to hear something, and maybe that's why you're here. Uh, this is arguably the most important topic of all the others. Um, now, if you did miss the others, you can always go back to our podcast and listen to those, because maybe God has something that uh, He wants you to hear that can help you as you're dealing with those struggles in life. Years ago, I was serving at a church where some internal issues were creating some division. I'm sure that's a shock to you that sometimes there can be problems in a church, but people I thought were friends and supporters sort of turned against me and the other leaders, and we were not in agreement on uh, some issues with them, and it became a little nasty as they began calling around, drumming up support for their cause, and trying to divide the church, and I felt attacked and some ways abandoned, and people I had prayed for and visited on numerous occasions, tried to minister to, had now it felt to me like they had turned against me. And for a few days, I was really feeling like a failure. I mean, I was feeling like quitting, like giving up, and feeling a little miserable, you know, maybe a little sorry for myself, you know, a little pity party. For several days, I was spending all my time thinking about and talking about these issues, talking to Christy, talking to friends, talking to other leaders. I was angry. I was hurt. And then I, I, after a little while, I realized something. I had not really been talking to God. Y'all get me? <laughs> In fact, for a few weeks, I hadn't really been talking to God about anything other than all this mess. I, oh, I complained to God. Oh, yeah, I complained, but I wasn't seeking his advice. I wasn't asking him how I needed to react or what kind of person I needed to be in all of this. My quiet time became non-existent. My prayers were superficial. My desire to seek God had waned as I plummeted into my little pity party despair time. No wonder I was feeling alone. I'd push God aside to try to come up with answers of my own, and all my time was being spent fussing and complaining. I was running on empty in a spiritual sense. While those who had targeted the church leaders were wrong, I had fallen into the trap because I was acting just like they were. My spiritual life was a hot mess, and I needed some personal revival. Now, maybe you have been there. Maybe you're there right now, realizing that you have drifted away from God, 
and you're feeling alone and isolated. Maybe you're focused on all that isn't right, just spending time complaining, looking at life as a glass half empty. In your walk with Jesus, maybe you have somehow totally missed the fact that you can have an intimate relationship with him, that you can tell him any and everything, but you need to be seeking to have him in your life. It's possible that you've never had a connection to God, and maybe you're here today trying to figure this whole Jesus thing out. The problem is that it seems like we take three steps forward and two steps back. It's like we're on a roller coaster ride of faith, riding high at times, and then sinking to some spiritual lows. And friends, what I've discovered is life happens. Have y'all figured that out? Life happens, and, it, and there's hot messes that we got to deal with. Loss happens. Loneliness happens. It happens to us all. And it's easy to turn God off and turn inward. It's easy to try to go dark and hide out in our own little misery. And it's easy to get lost in the pity party we feel for ourselves if we aren't careful, we will become angry and bitter people. And I want to talk with you about a few practical steps that maybe we can take when we hit those low points and our faith becomes a hot mess. And my hope is that each of these things we're going to talk about will help you either discover a personal relationship with Jesus or get back to a thriving relationship with Jesus. As Christians, we probably would all agree that if we were to ask God to rank things in priority, God's number one priority for us would be our faith, our faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. But even though we strive for this, what do we do if our walk with Jesus, if our faith seems like a hot mess? So again, this week, we're going to spend just a little time talking about how to gain and maybe regain some intimacy with Jesus once again. And I want us to begin with the question. If, if we feel like our faith is in that kind of hot mess point, that it's sort of out of control, that it is chaotic and disconnected, we need to ask ourselves this. What has been my what and what has been my why? Now you might be thinking, you have lost your mind. What a dumb question. But I want you to think about it. Those two questions will reveal some key things about our current spiritual state. So let's go to God in prayer, and then we'll come back. Lord, I know that life is chaotic many times. And for some of us, we've been through some chaos, and others of us are in the middle of it right now. And it's easy to put faith on the back burner and lose focus. It's easy to just be thinking about all that's wrong and not be thinking about how you can bring us through it. Help us today to re-engage with you, with our faith and the peace that you have for us. And for those of us that may be struggling today, I pray, God, that your spirit would move in us and through us and bring revival in our hearts. 
Uh, we love you, Lord, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so first of all, if you happen to be struggling with spiritual intimacy, understand you're not alone. It's not like you're a horrible person and how dare you ever struggle. No, God knows that we're going to struggle. I mean, He knows us very well. And every one of us, there's not one person in this room that's never had this struggle with spiritual intimacy. And if your faith seems like a mess, maybe begin right here. Don't be a religious box checker. So in, in your outline, checker is the first blank right there. Don't be a religious box checker. And you know what we're talking about. Now, the Bible makes it clear that what we spend our time doing matters. The what does matter. But it also helps us understand that why we do what we do matters. It's not just the what that matters, but it's the why that matters. And this week, we, we're going to spend a little time talking about the, the value of understanding the why. If you have a Bible, you can open it up to Matthew chapter 6. You can read it on our screen here as well. But this section of Scripture comes from a sermon that Jesus preached called the Sermon on the Mount. And in this sermon, he covered a, a lot of important material, a lot of topics, uh, clearing up some misconceptions that many people had at that time. And I want us to look at one thing he has to say as he's talking about prayer. So let's go in Matthew 6, verses 5 through 6. Jesus said, And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. Now, uh, you may see that word hypocrite and wonder, who is he talking about when he's saying that word hypocrite? Well, uh, as you read that passage, you understand that he's talking about the Pharisees, that uh, these were the, some of the religious leaders, some of the main teachers of that day, and there were some other religious sects along with them, but uh, the, these guys really thought highly of themselves, even to the point that they often elevated their own status in the religious community above others who maybe have more public sins in their lives, but these Pharisees thought we're better than all of these other people. And Jesus said that they were hypocrites. Now, why would he say that about them? Well, that word is the very reason. You, you see, these hypocrites had the right what, but they had the wrong why. Yes, they prayed. Do you think it's important to pray? Yes. They, they went to worship services. Is it important to go to worship service? I would say yes. They read the scriptures. Would you agree reading scriptures is a good thing to do? Certainly. But it wasn't so they could gain a closer walk with God. It wasn't so that they could be having a more intimate relationship with God. It was all about the knowledge. 
And ultimately, the knowledge was so that they could gain higher positions of influence. They did many of the right things, but for the wrong reasons. And as we think about ourselves, have, have we been doing all the right things, but with the wrong motives? Maybe it looks like coming to church just to check the box that I went to church. I did that. I, I did my religious duty. Making an appearance to allow folks to see that I'm being religious. And that kind of lifestyle can really be draining if we're just doing stuff for other people to see us. And that's what the Pharisees were all about. I need to go out and I need to pray out loud so people will see me and think that I am so pious and religious. That's the lifestyle they were living. Um, standing on those street corners, praying out loud, making themselves seem holier than they actually were. They would show up at the synagogues, a place of worship sort of like this where everyone could see them. And friends, if, if your faith is a hot mess and yet you're, you're doing a lot of those things, it, it may be due to doing and saying all the right things but with the wrong motives. Yeah, yeah. If you're listening on Facebook Live, please turn that off in here because it's just a little behind me, okay? I was hearing myself talking. I was like, something is not right. This is a hot mess right here. And that's why it's important for us to question our motives. I think we all need to examine ourselves. What am I doing this for? Why am I here? Uh, I'm reminded of that time when I was struggling with the internal conflicts that I mentioned earlier. I, I was still preaching. I was still preparing sermons. I was still doing lessons. But something was off. And on the outside, people didn't see what was happening on the inside. So think of it this way. I, I can see my own shadow up here. I, mean, I know you can't see it, but look, I, my, my shadow's down there. My shadow's around. It follows me around everywhere. It never goes away unless I'm in total darkness. But you see, friends, we all have a shadow side of things that we do. These are less than godly motives trying to bring themselves to the front of our lives and our daily decisions. And if we're not careful, we can allow these wrong motives to present themselves in our spiritual and religious lives. You, you can begin to start checking the box, but not seeking the source. I got my, got my prayer time in, got my reading time in. I, I talked to somebody about Jesus today, and, and I went to church or I went to Bible study. I checked the box. And when it's all about checking the box, we can become legalistic rather than relational in our search for God. But maybe for you, it's not about readdressing the why that causes your faith to be a hot mess. Maybe you have figured out that your motives are usually the right ones. Maybe for you, it has to do with your posture when reading and studying Scripture. And that brings us to the second point today. Read 
the Bible for transformation. Okay? Now, what does transformation mean? It simply means to change. Now, the dictionary has a little longer meaning. A, a thorough and dramatic change in form or appearance. But when we're thinking about a spiritual transformation, we're thinking about an internal transformation that takes place as we submit our will to the will of God and we begin to seek Him genuinely. Our mission statement as a church says this, we exist to build relationships that honor God and lead to transformation in Christ. Spiritual change is necessary for our growth. But sometimes we're just reading the Bible to check off a box and not reading it for the spiritual change that God wants it to bring. The Bible is, without a doubt, God's message. And regardless of what some preachers today would want to say, the entire Bible is the Word of God. Okay? Both the Old Testament and the New Testament, it's all the Word of God. And both are profitable to help God bring about transformation in our lives. However, the message of the gospel is seen clearly throughout the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When we sit down with the Bible, we're going to learn something from it. We will gain knowledge. But here's the reality. Anything we read will first go to our head or our minds. And it is our responsibility then to allow those words to sink down into our hearts. It's not just for knowledge. There are many people that know the Bible front and back, and they have no relationship with God. And if that's the case, then all of that knowledge means nothing. If I don't have a relationship with Jesus, it means nothing. Read in Colossians Chapter 3, 16, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. we got to let that message sink deep down inside. Paul calls us to allow the book to saturate every part of our lives. The only way for that to happen is if we take what we read and let it go into our heart. And then what dwells in our hearts will be produced out of our lives. If it's just a head knowledge, we're never going to live it out. But if it becomes both a head knowledge and a heart knowledge, and we're genuinely seeking God, then we're going to begin to live out what we're learning. This is how, the back, the, how we actually should be reading the Bible. I realize how hard it can be to allow God to do His work when we're so focused on our work. And I shared a couple of weeks ago about my process of having some daily quiet times. And I have them in my schedule so I can make them a priority. However, it, it would be deceiving to say that I never get distracted 
When, when I have the pressure of deadlines, when other people are expecting something from me, when, when I'm stressed about getting something done or somebody needs to speak and they got to speak to me now, uh, my quiet time can be affected by that. And I can spend my time reading and praying with the tasks on my mind. Anybody else here ever do that? You're, you're trying to spend time talking to God, but uh, your mind is trying to take you to the, the next thing that you're supposed to be doing. I can miss what God is trying to teach me because I'm so focused on something I need to do. And I think at that time that I need to do, and maybe what you need to do, is try to shut all of that out and trust that if I commit this time to God and to truly seeking Him, He will enable me to do all those other things that I need to do. And I believe that that happens. You see, if I only viewed this book, the, the Bible, as a means of producing sermons, then this book would only be a tool for that end. It might be applicable to your life, but in that case, not so much to my life. It would just be, I'd be like the Pharisees, just using the Bible so that I could have a job. You hear what I'm saying? I, I would rarely or never be convicted when reading what the Bible has to say. There'd be no real transformation that comes out of my own time in the Word. And this is not transformative reading. This is why James wrote in James 1, beginning of verse 22, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So it's sort of silly to spend all that time in front of the mirror and not do what you need to do to look right when you walk out, right? Um, and as I read that passage, I'm reminded that without the transformation, Scripture can help bring it is really a wasted effort. If I examine myself as I read Scripture and allow myself to see myself in light of Scripture, then transformation can come. Scripture is like a spiritual mirror that God is using to reveal who we are deep inside. Not just who I present myself to others, but who I really am. Where are my thoughts? What am I thinking? What is my process? God is wanting to draw the very best out of us. And He's wanting to influence not just my actions, but my thoughts. So we have to read it intently, James wrote. And that word intently literally means to stoop sideways, right? To stoop down and look at a thing. You almost get a, the idea that, uh, or the mental picture that, you're not just scanning over something, but really being attentive to it, trying to get down and examine it with the express desire to see how it applies to our lives. Not just to write a sermon, not just to prepare a lesson, not just to turn in a paper, 
But what does it really mean to me? If we aren't doing that, eventually our spiritual life is going to become a hot mess. Maybe not overnight, but eventually. It is, it is a slow but sure transition from intimacy with God to knowledge about God. We're reading for the knowledge, but not for the relationship. And similarly, maybe you've come here today with a lot of knowledge about Jesus, but you just don't know him personally. There's a huge difference between those two positions. And friends, it's important to be in God's Word each day, not just so that we can quote more Bible verses to our friends and family, so that people will think, oh, he's so spiritual, he knows so much about the Bible. But most importantly, so that we can experience the transformation that God wants to bring. This will truly change everything. And there's something else that we can do to increase our intimacy with God. And it, it may sort of sound counterintuitive to you, but I think that it's true. We need to tell someone our testimony. Chances are, even though we have talked about some practical steps today and through the course of this series, honestly, uh, you know, it, you are still wondering maybe what you can do from here to keep your relationship with Jesus strong. And I would tell you to tell someone. That calls for two different conversations. First, has to do with your community who cares about you and wants to encourage you in your walk with Christ. This is not a new development in the Christian world. Uh, really, it, it's been here since the very beginning of the church. You read in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 46, and you read these words, Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. Now, that happened right after the day of Pentecost, in the early days of the church, when the Holy Spirit powerfully came upon those believers who were meeting together. And in a season when we feel like we've lost intimacy or passion in our faith, we need to return to the community God has given us. Who are those people in our lives who can encourage us and pray for us and help us and we can help them? Maybe the first step for you today is to text or call several people in your life whom you view as spiritual or godly people. Ask their advice. Let them know what's going on. How you feel like your faith is a hot mess. It may be a, a, a people in a small group or a Bible study that you've been attending. It might be someone you know will listen to you and not tell you what you want to hear, but tell you what you need to hear. Many of you are in a small group. And if you're not involved in one, I would encourage you to find one. We have several different groups here at Christ Church. We, we have a couples group get, just getting ready to get started uh, on Sunday nights, we have men's and women's groups. We have our grief share a group that's getting ready to get started again in March. And it, it could have uh, a very important impact on your life. And the sign up for the grief share is right out front. 
And, and if you've gone through loss, maybe sometimes people that have experienced loss seem to drift a little bit away from God because the loss is so painful. And a group like that can be so beneficial in renewing and growing your relationship with God and others who have similar stories. But telling someone doesn't just refer to telling them about your current season and situation. There's also the wonderful privilege we receive of sharing our own stories with others to help them and encourage them. In John 9, 25, we read, whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. That was the testimony of a man who had been born blind that Jesus healed. And in so doing, he was questioned by these very religious leaders we talked about earlier, the Pharisees, who couldn't understand how this man Jesus could heal somebody on the Sabbath. I mean, that was a a terrible sin in their mind. The religious leaders were confused because that didn't fit into their understanding, their knowledge of what the scriptures had said. So they had plenty of knowledge of scripture, but they were missing some key ingredients. They had a misconception about this on two ways. First, the guy Jesus healed uh, this man on the Sabbath, uh, which made him a sinner. That was in their minds first. Now, you're calling Jesus a sinner because he healed somebody on a particular day. They knew the scriptures about keeping the Sabbath holy, and they had made up all these rules to enforce that scripture. And these rules weren't God-made rules. They were man-made rules. But in their minds, Jesus committed a sin. I don't know about you, but I think if I were to heal somebody, uh, well, I couldn't heal anybody. God could heal somebody. But if God heals somebody, that may be the most holy thing we could see. The second misconception was this. How could a sinner like this perform such a miracle? And upon being questioned, the man who was healed made that statement. You know, I don't know how he did it, but all I know is I was blind and now I see. He just told his story. We know that most of the Pharisees didn't come to faith in Christ, but two significant members did. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus were probably in that room listening to that man's testimony. And it seems from all accounts that both of these men came to faith in Jesus. I would imagine that the testimony of that blind man who was healed played a role in their faith. If you follow Christ, you have a story. There is a story of redemption. And our stories consist of who we used to be compared to who we are now. And the spiritual transformation that Jesus Christ has brought about in our lives. This is the story God wants other people to hear. Maybe it will look like a a coffee meeting with a friend who is curious about your faith. Even though right now it, it could be a hot mess. Maybe instead it'll be your child's soccer practice this week. And you're having a conversation with one of the other parents. Whatever the case may be, God is calling you and me to share our story. And in so doing, that may help to kickstart us out of the hot mess that our faith is in. 
You know, we've covered a lot of ground today, and I don't want to presume to know how you're feeling in your faith, but I can assure you that wherever you land and however you feel, God sees and knows. He knows exactly where you are. We can often go through long seasons where we feel that God is distant or just don't feel the motivation to engage with God. We can feel disconnected and confused and discouraged. And on some level, this is all natural. It's part of the ups and downs of life. But on the other hand, no one wants to feel that way about their faith. And the good news is that your faith doesn't have to be a hot mess. It can be a place of refreshment and healing and hope, which reminds me of something Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So friend, if you're weary and burdened today, then you're in a good place. Jesus is gentle and lowly in heart. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. He wants you to re-engage with him, to get back on the path. And remember again why you decided to follow him in the first place. And if you've never made that decision, then today's a great day to begin this everlasting journey with him. His yoke is easy. His burden is light. Seek that transformation that he can bring. Get your why right so that your what can make a real difference in your life. Let's pray. Father, I ask you to rekindle our faith. Bring revival in our hearts. Help us allow your spirit to Take our hot mess of a faith and turn it into a solid rock of faith. Help us to trust in you as David did. David wrote, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the mud and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see and fear the Lord and put their trust in him. Blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord. Father, that's what faith is all about. It's trusting in you, giving our lives fully to you. Help us to get our motivations right, Father. Help our whys for our whats to be all about you. I pray each one here today will do that. We love you, Lord. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.